Hey, this is Bill O'Bruce Jr. from Take This Lollipop and A Million Horror Movies. Don't be scared. You're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 Days of Hallowtober event. I am your host, Rigor. Today, I am once again joined by Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes. Glad you could join me today, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having us again. Excellent. Excellent. And can you just briefly uh, refresh the listeners on where to find your shows and what your shows are about? Uh, so we are the hosts of the Throwdown Thursday podcast, a podcast that dissects the characters that you love and love to hate. Every week we throw down a new character, character battles, science facts, lots of wine, tons of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find us wherever fine podcasts are found. And I've recently brought back my Shark Bites podcast for all the overflow stuff and interview opportunities that we don't always get a chance to talk about and that don't quite fit the mold of the Throwdown Thursday uh, format. So you can check that out and all the same places. And uh, do check out these uh, recent episodes because if you're a reader, you're definitely going to want to know what's going on in the uh, in these two episodes. Some amazing stories coming out from people. Awesome. Awesome. That's so cool. So um, one is called Throwdown Thursday and the other one is Shark what? Bites. Shark Bites. Okay. Yeah. Little little quick bites. Got it. And I like sharks. Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Awesome. Awesome. And as you probably heard, listeners, we are joined by our new frequent guest co-host, Michael. Welcome, Michael. Hey, hey, people. I'm here. Roger, uh, Rigor and I have known each other for uh, since, decades. Since like so, 1982, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been like 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so so here I am. That's awesome. Join in. That's awesome. I just want to throw in, we're recording this in early September. Obviously, these are all going to release the last 13 days of October. Um, but as of this recording, our, uh, where my wife and I li uh, live, we rent a house, and our landlords decided he doesn't want to rent the house anymore. So we actually just looked at a place today, and we're going to be moving a little further north to a town called Limington in, uh, in Maine. And it's kind of cool because it's got good proximity to you know Portland, Old Orchard Beach, and the two drive-in theaters mm. that we like to go to. So I'm kind of psyched. Sweet. Yeah. That's always nice. So by the time these get released, we will already be settled into our new house or 
new-ish. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I'm glad. New to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, I have a shit ton of stuff and TV guides and records, collectibles, videotapes. Comics, it's going to be a yeah. pain in the ass. Yeah. The that's the worst pain. part. Like, it's exciting when you're like, oh, we're moving to a new place. And then you look around and you're like, <laughs> and you have all this stuff and you're like shit now i gotta pack all this stuff up right <laughs> pack it move it unpack it i know but, but you know the the unpacking is the fun part right, mm, right. new place to put things and you That's know true. rearranging your collections and it takes a long time making the place your own like you know and then there's really no time limit as well it's like we're here mm. we're here let's get settled let's figure things out it's right a, a that's fresh start, yeah. a clean slate. It's a that's the nice feeling, but it's the it's the packing everything up and the actual physical, you know, moving from one place to the other. That's just so daunting. Oh my god, I'm not looking forward to it. I have this um, TV stand in the living room that's really long, and even with nothing in it, like I have a whole bunch of records and stuff in it, with nothing in it, it's still heavy as fuck, and it's I am not looking forward to that <laughs> to moving that. But we hire movers for the big stuff. That's what I'm thinking for the furniture. Uh, it's worth it. I mean, you, you might say, hey, shit, I don't want to spend that money, but you'd also don't want to fuck up your back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's way too late for that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> fuck so up your back really again. Like <laughs> I think when we move, I mean, I have close to 100 football helmets between the mini helmets and the full size ones, but I have all the boxes for them. So like those will be easy ish to move. That's good. But it's the uh, all the little figurines. Well, and, I mean, we oh collect Funko Pops. I collect Barbies. I have since I was little. Uh, all of the other different tchotchkes and stuff that we have from all of the different all my, fandoms and interests and and all my little pieces and, of things. The, uh, what the and then like the the boxes of vinyls that we have and all yeah. of our all of our uh, physical media. Yeah, that we. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a whole I, I, I feel you. I feel you We're gonna have to move eventually. And it's something that I don't like to think about because I, it, I, I, I drink about thinking about, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's. <laughs> Uh, but kudos on the new place. That's going to be fantastic. Oh, Getting closer to some, you know, great places that you like to frequent. Yeah, that's always. Nice. And the cool thing is the basement's like mostly finished. So and there's sort of like a little room that they built in it. So I'm going to be actually oh, have, have an office to record. I'm, nice. I've been recording at the kitchen table now for the past six years. <laughs> so. I'm going to. Having a, a a specific place where you can set up all of your stuff and kind of make yourself cozy and create the vibe that you want when you podcast, that it makes a huge difference. That that's yeah. what we did. We we'd have a designated space in Patsy's his man cave where we we podcast and stuff. And I'm I'm telling you, like it just we used to go to a studio like outside of our house. Oh wow. Uh, and then things happened. Like the the person who ran the studio moved. The studio shut down. We ended up just purchasing our own equipment and and doing it from home. And the vibe from doing it from the comfort of your home, but having like a specific place where you're like, this is my podcasting area. Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's true. And I'll also be because I work from home now. Anyways, doing writing, I'll be able to do that from the same office. So, killing two birds with one stone. 
There you go. Which is going to be awesome. Oh, and the, is, the best part is my grandson's going to have his own bedroom, so he won't be sleeping with us anymore. He's nice. five, and we were always joking, yeah, here's our 40-year-old grandson sleeping in the bed with us. <laughs> <laughs> is the new house a done deal? Yeah, pretty much. We're going down on Tuesday. Today is what, Sunday? Yeah, we're going down on Tuesday yeah. and basically giving the deposit and all that and getting the keys. Nice. And, Cool. You know, it's kind of far. It's like 45, 50 minutes from here, you know, north of here. Yeah. Uh, Spencey's probably not going to want to come because it's an extra hour to his trip to come visit with me. But who knows? He might. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, going to the same college that Ashes went to. Yeah, it's Fitchburg State. Oh, is he going to Fitchburg State? Yeah. yeah. Go Falcons. I think he's... <laughs> Shit, he's 21, so he's in either second or sophomore or junior year. I forget now. I can't oh, God, Spencer is old enough to drink? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I saw him the day he was born. Jesus Christ. I know, huh? It's so crazy. So, all right, folks, we are continuing our yearly event, as I mentioned, called 13 Days of Hallowtober, and our theme this year is vampire movies, and today we're going to discuss the film From Dusk Till Dawn from 1996, and as always, I'm going to give spoiler alerts because we are going to spoil the shit out of this movie. By the way, uh, I know our, our intro went long. When we say we're going to be discussing the movie From Dusk Till Dawn, that's the name of the movie, not the length of the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> Important distinction, yes. <laughs> An eight-hour podcast. Oh, good God. All right, folks, so sit back and prepare to listen to our discussion of a fun vampire picture. Class is in session. You be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be. One hell of a night. We might be in trouble. There are a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Fugitive bank robbers Seth and Richie Gecko hold up a liquor store, killing clerk Pete Bottoms and Texas Ranger Earl McGraw in a shootout. They inadvertently destroy the building as they leave. At a motel room where they're hiding out, Seth returns from getting food to find Richie has raped and murdered a bank clerk that they had taken hostage, much to Seth's anger. 
Jacob Fuller, a pastor experiencing a crisis of faith brought on by the death of his wife, is on vacation with his teenage children, Kate and Scott, in their RV. They stop at the inn and are kidnapped by the Gecko brothers, who force the Fuller family to smuggle them over the Mexican border. In Mexico, they arrive at the Titty Twister, a strip club in the desert where the Gecko brothers will be met by their contact, Carlos, at dawn. Carlos will escort them to a sanctuary at El Rey, a place of safety for fugitives from justice whose admission fee is 30% of everything they have. When Richie complains to Seth that this is too high, Seth tells him it's non-negotiable. During a bar fight, the bar employees reveal themselves to be vampires and kill most of the patrons. Richie's bitten by a stripper, Santanico Pandemonium, and dies, but Seth manages to kill her by shooting at a chandelier above her that impales her. Only Seth, Jacob, Kate, Scott, a biker named Sex Machine, and Frost, a Vietnam veteran, survive. The others are reborn as vampires, including Richie, with a giant head, forcing the survivors to kill them all. When an army of vampires in bat form assembles outside, the survivors lock themselves indoors, but Sex Machine is bitten and becomes a vampire, biting Frost and Jacob. Frost throws Sex Machine through the door, allowing the vampires to enter while Frost himself turns into a vampire. Seth, Kate, and Scott escape to a storeroom, followed shortly by an injured but still alive Jacob brandishing a shotgun. In the storeroom, they fashion weapons from truck cargo the vampires have looted from past victims, including a stake mounted on a pneumatic drill, a crossbow, and holy water, which requires Jacob to recover his faith in order to bless. Jacob, knowing he will soon become a vampire, makes Scott and Kate promise to kill him when he changes. The group makes their final assault on the undead. Sex Machine mutates into a large rat-like creature and attacks Seth, but is killed. Jacob becomes a vampire, but Scott hesitates to kill him, allowing Jacob to bite him. Scott hits Jacob with holy water and shoots and kills him. Scott is overwhelmed by vampires who begin to devour him, and he begs for death, so Kate shoots him dead in an act of mercy. As vampires surround Kate and Seth, streams of morning light enter through the bullet holes in the building, making the vampires back away. Carlos arrives, and his bodyguards blast open the door, letting in the sunlight, which kills all the vampires. Seth chastises Carlos for his poor choice of a meeting place and negotiates a smaller tribute for his admission to El Rey. Kate asks Seth if she can join him to El Rey, if she can go with him to El Rey, but he refuses, apparently concerned for her safety, leaving her with some cash. Kate drives away in the RV, leaving the titty twister behind, which is revealed to be the top of an eight-level, partially buried Aztec temple. So, first impression, Pat, uh, you and Ash has picked this movie. Why don't you go first? Well, I'll start because I saw this movie, uh, for some reason I kept thinking it came out in 1993, so this is a couple years after Natural Born Killers, uh, so Juliette Lewis was already familiar with Tarantino at this point. Yeah. But I had seen this... Uh, a friend of uh, my friend uh, Justin and I, we were about 15. We rented this. Um, it was 96. Uh, so it, this came out in January. Uh, so we watched it over the summer. We had no idea what it was about. This was back in the day where you would go to the video store and just <laughs> look at the, the box art and make your decision on oh, that. Those were the days. And this was a hell of a choice because, like, we were both, you know, obnoxious teenagers. I haven't changed all that much. But, uh, you know, when we were watching movies, you know, we're making fun of everything. And like we had just seen uh, Desperado. So we're like, oh, let's watch this one, too. And um, I don't know. Or that might have been reversed depending on when Desperado came up. But I think Desperado came up first. And both of us shut the fuck up when Salma Hayek came out. And we're watching this last night. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I honestly think and I hope 
that this is the case that when they rehearsed the scene, no one was around. And the first time everybody saw Selma Hayek doing this whole routine was when they filmed it for the movie. Mm, yeah. Because you look at everybody's reactions and everybody, you know, just how they respond to her coming out with the the giant snake and the body from God. You can, <laughs> and you can 100%, you know, like, I don't know what sort of deal Tarantino and Rodriguez made for him to be the focal point of his of her attention but i would imagine uh i think he had a foot up on everybody else yeah oh but i'm pumped oh it was uh there's some wild shit going on i'm sure like i just think about it like this and i mentioned this to ashes last night i was like think about this if you're 26 year old uh Selma Hayek, and you've got George Clooney at the height of his powers. <laughs> You're going to walk past him to, like, try and seduce Quentin Tarantino? I mean, Clooney <laughs> was pulling in ER money at that time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, again, he's like, what, 30 at this point? I don't know. I don't know. How Something like is. that, yeah. But, like... Tony well, Tarantino. I'm sure it was in the script before they realized who was going to be cast, possibly. There's no way. If it was, Tarantino's like, yeah, I'll play Richie. I don't care. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get you out in the hand. I'll be a weird, like, sex fiend. Like, that's just my character. That's just what the, my character did. But, hey, whatever. Yeah. yeah Maybe she true. Like, why would evil. she focus on him? She might have sensed what? his evil that he was off. Hmm. That's entirely possible. Maybe she wanted to like turn him, but uh, I will say I know it was an attempt to be sexy, but like I don't know, licking whiskey off your leg, like <laughs> doesn't really do anything for me, right? Then she like, like this is how a baby bird would. This is how a mama bird would help her babies drink whiskey. Like <laughs> a little weird. All right, but whatever. I mean, we all know his thing is the feet. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he he definitely got his his uh his fetish uh satiated. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So now I like oh, the ahead. fact uh sorry, I was gonna say I also like the fact that Cheech Marin played three different roles in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. So Ashes, you told us a little story about your first experience with this movie. Uh do you want to tell it here on the show? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I could kind of consider this a first time watch uh, because I, I have seen it before, but I watched it. You know, speaking of college, uh, back in my college days when I used to uh, just say I had a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so I don't really uh, I don't remember much of anything. I, of, of case in point, <laughs> I didn't realize this was a vampire movie. So, uh, clear, yeah, uh, anyways, uh, so Patsy was like, well, what do you remember? And I was like, well, obviously, I remember Salma Hayek, because who could who, who couldn't remember right. that? Like, right. who, who would forget that? Uh, and Tom Savini, a sex machine with his uh, little friend that you like to say hello to. Yeah, <laughs> I have a signed picture of of that. I have that picture signed with him looking over at the guy holding the beer with mm. the, the, the gun. Uh, 
extended. <laughs> There's a whole new meaning to why uh, uh, I'm I'm, Cocky. I'm cocked. <laughs> Cockier gun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so that was really all I remembered. Uh, didn't know um, when we started watching it. I didn't know who directed it. I didn't look up anything. I kind of wanted to have uh, as fresh of eyes as I possibly could on it. And within what two minutes, I was like, "This is Robert Rodriguez, isn't it?" Uh, <laughs> You've seen enough of his stuff. To yeah, know. yeah. And uh, I just, I, I, I loved it. Uh, I always love. I love Juliet Lewis. Like, period. Full stop. But um, she took some really well. She's still taking really interesting roles. If you haven't seen Yellow Jackets, I highly recommend it. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, she took good. some really interesting roles early on in her career, and this was something that um, her playing the innocent, you know, is something that she doesn't play often. Hmm. You know, usually she plays this, you know, hard badass character well again this is well, two mean, like, years after natural born right <laughs> right uh you know i mean and and it was just uh it was interesting and for some reason i thought antonio banderas was in this well it's a robert um, right movie, so. yeah yeah uh so i was expecting him to pop out at some point but i thought george clooney was a really nice touch um he he has also taken some really interesting roles uh throughout his career and this is definitely one of them i think he was trying to because he was so engrossed in in er at the time he was trying to uh break the mold a little bit kind of give himself some edge like hey i can do other things too i'm not just your favorite doctor every thursday night um but I look at my wild tribal tattoo. Uh, and I, I love Tarantino. Everything that he touches, I think, is just gold in its own way. I think he's a brilliant writer. I love it when him and Rodriguez team up to do things. Uh, I, I think that it's just uh, that partnership is such a great thing. And I hope we actually see more of that partnership in the future, because uh, I think we kind of need it right now with the oversaturation of some of the stuff that we're seeing in in, in content that we're getting. Uh, but I, I overall, like I loved the film. I love the the gritty feel of it. I loved the practical effects. And I hope we'll touch on that a little bit later. Oh, yeah. I loved the. uh I loved the idea of the vampires. Um, I, I I loved Danny Trejo. Just full stop. I love Danny Trejo. Um, yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised, but not really surprised that I enjoyed it so much. Given you know who was behind the scenes and the talent you know responsible for for creating the film and the actors involved and whatnot, I thought it was just it was so much fun. I had so much fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Michael, uh, you and I saw this in the movies together, right? I know I saw it in the movies. Yes, we did. Yeah. yeah. So what did you think when you first saw it? What was your first impression? My first time I saw it, I loved it up to the point where the vampires appeared. I knew there were going to be vampires, but I didn't like the way I wanted them to be much I expected like a more serious, darker, like there was a little too, the first time I saw it, there was a little too much like, you know, like Ash has just said, it's a movie that's a hell of a lot of fun. And now that I understand that's what it is, I can go into it and just enjoy it for what it is. But at the time I didn't know. 
And I felt like, I don't know, the 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 vampires in, in many ways, like the Salma Hayek dance was so amazing. And then she morphed instantly into this other vampire. And I hated the way that effect looked. And I thought a lot of the vampires, there was too much slime and they were just like, you know, I, I hated the way they did the vampires. I mean, they were, they were, yes, scary, but it was too confusing about what they actually were or weren't. Some of them looked like snakes. Some of them looked like bats. The one guy you said, uh, Tom Savini turned into a rat at one point and I just, you know, I thought the characters were cool. The script, the dialogue of course was great because it's Tarantino. Um, and I loved the mood and everything that they set up before they got into the thing. And I know there was humor in the movie, but at that point I was like, well, you know, what the hell? Like these vampires are just so bizarre. Like I, I just didn't, it didn't work for me the first time. My favorite thing that I really loved was the disco ball at the end when the sunlight comes in and uh, they open the doors finally and right. the sun hits the disco ball. Yeah. And it the, refracts the light in like every direction and all the vampires that are left get torched at the same time. That I thought was super clever. Yeah. Um, now when I watch it, I like it a lot more. But the first time through, I hated the, the yeah, I just thought the, dinos the, the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought the vampires. I thought the vampires were a little too silly. I wanted them to be darker and nastier. Yeah, it's funny because, like, when I saw this with you, I, uh, I, I don't recall. Did we know going in that it was going to turn into a horror movie halfway through? I don't think we did. I don't remember. I, 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 I want to say that I, we felt like it was just going to be a thriller, like a Reservoir Dogs kind of thing, and then. And then, bam, all of a sudden it was horror. I can't remember because I'm sure we saw the I think the we trailer. knew because of the title. I think we knew it was going to be vampires. Right. Was, Maybe we just didn't know yeah. how they were going to go about it or if it was going to be horror all the way through. Because the whole yeah. first half of the movie is a thriller, a crime mm -hmm. thriller. And then the second half is pure horror action movie. Um, I, I have to admit, too, when I first saw it um, way back when, the uh, there was a handful of silly scenes that kind of... It may lowered my opinion of the film at the time because, like, when the the vampire band is using a dead body as a guitar, yeah, that I I remember hating that. Um, and like you said, there were inconsistencies with the way the vampires looked. But now, when I watched it, you know, knowing full well what the movie's about and who was behind it and everything, I really enjoyed it a lot more this time around. I really actually loved it, and especially. I liked the dynamic between Seth and Richie as brothers. Mm -hmm. Like Seth would take mm -hmm. care of him, you know, put your mouth guard in, that kind of thing. Um, and Richie was obviously mentally unstable, and he had some issues hearing things that weren't there. Um, but I also liked, and I never got it the first time, and I've probably seen it a couple times on video over the years, but the, um, the whole way that uh, Seth and the family start to bond at various points throughout the film. I really like that because that kind of, it kind of sold it for me that Clooney, he may be a bank robber, but he's not a villain. He's not evil, you know, and I liked that. I liked that he was, you know, willing to work with them and, yeah. and basically just bonding with the family because they had no choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he specifically said, you know, like, I'm a professional fucking thief. I don't kill people that I don't have to. Like, I'll yeah. do it, but he doesn't want to. Right, right. Like, when he comes back to the hotel or the motel room yeah. with Sam, uh, food for them, and he finds out that Richie, um, you know, brutally killed the hostage, and, and he opens the door, and he just 
looks at what he did to her and he goes, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And he like pins him against the wall and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, there was no need to shred this woman. Just what, you know, yeah, yeah. He was not really into killing unless he had to kill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as was mentioned before, this film was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Um, this guy's awesome. I remember following his career right from the beginning because he basically, he let himself be medically experimented on for like a month and he got seven grand for doing that. And that's when he was able to make El Mariachi in 92. Really? Yeah. And oh I, I remember him telling about that in an interview and that really put him on the map. I mean, it was just a little film, but I think it went to Sundance or something and really um, struck a chord with the with the critics. Um, so from there, he got a deal. He did, you know, the sequel Desperado. Um, he did all three Spy Kids films, Planet Terror, Machete, Machete Kills. And in fact, there's a new one coming. out. I think it's Machete in Space. Um, and apparently the, uh, he did one of the. Uh, yeah. What's it called? So Grindhouse what, movies? Yeah, yeah, Planet Terror. Did, um, Planet Terror, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes, yes. Um, apparently, him and Tarantino also worked on the Dust Till Dawn TV series, which I didn't know. I would have watched it yeah. if I had known. Um, yeah, I was just watching the first season of it the other day. I'm sorry, I just talked over. No, I was going to say, there's also two sequels uh, as well, which I didn't realize there were two. I knew there was one with uh, Robert, uh, not Robert Patrick. Yeah, Robert robert patrick who was uh, the t-1000 yeah yeah he was the pastor oh wow oh interesting i didn't uh, even realize that i was thinking of um uh the the sequels to john carpenter's vampires with what's his name john bon jovi <laughs> oh yeah no the tv series actually um i watched some of the tv series a while back and then because i knew we were going to be talking about this today i watched like the first five or six episodes uh the other day and it's interesting because yeah, Rodriguez directed at least the whole first season of that show. I don't know how long it lasted or if it's still on. And they really, on the show, they went with the serpent theme for all the vampires. Like, it's that's the main, when the vampires bite, their teeth are like snake teeth. Huh. Um, and what else? And they had some other, like, magical powers. And in the, in the show, the the woman's i don't know if it's the same woman but she looks kind of salma hayekish she's talking to richie in his head um for a lot so i don't know if that was you know but they did a really good they sort of retold part of what happened in the movie as a way to get things rolling into the into the plot of the series and don johnson is is the the ranger uh in the first scene oh wow yeah oh that's he, cool. uh, he's the guy that goes into the liquor store and gets shot, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And one other thing I'd forgotten was that Rodriguez directed um, several episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, which were was that's really right. good. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he was did. in it. Yeah. He was in it? Yeah, he played... Uh, he was uh, the voice of the mayor or whatever. Like, he was he was one of the, the crime syndicates. It was oh. very brief. But yeah, he was in it. Oh, okay, okay. okay. And then, of course, we've got Quentin Tarantino, who not only was a character in this movie, but he wrote it. He's a, you know, he's a well-known writer, director, producer, actor. He, of course, did Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hateful Eight, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards. So, so many good movies, Django Unchained. And one thing I, I learned recently, um, my co-host on our new show, the, the Cult Movie Lounge, 
um, turned me on to uh, his podcast. Tarantino and his writing partner, Roger Avery, do a podcast now. And I guess they used to work at the same video store together back in the day. And when the place closed, Tarantino bought it and has all the videotapes now all the VHS tapes and so they're they're basically they'll watch like two or three movies on VHS and talk about them on his show and I gotta say I've never really heard him talk in depth but he's fascinating he you know his knowledge is incredible of movies and it's just fun to listen to yeah he's always said that if he didn't go into filmmaking he would have been a criminal because like he all all his movies are like heist movies yeah Yeah. like everything is like a heist a whodunit like you know what's going on like Plus, he wrote uh, Natural Born Killers. Yeah. And um, didn't he write True uh, Romance? True Romance. That's yeah. why yeah. I'm trying to remember that. And I love that movie. If you watch that, the scene between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, that's a million percent a Tarantino script. Yeah. yeah I get to see that one again. It's been a while. What I like about the From Dust Till Dawn TV series is I, I, I noticed that Rodriguez directed the first several episodes. Uh, and maybe the whole first season. I didn't notice Tarantino's name in the writing, but um, it's very respectful toward that style because there's a lot of like conversations that are reminiscent of the types of things that that Tarantino would write and like references to movies. And uh, like, they're just worked in there, you know? And like, it's kind of cool that they would keep that, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So moving into our cast here, we've got, ah, my notes just disappeared on me. Oh, there we go. Of course, Harvey Keitel as Jacob Fuller, who was in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, uh, the American remake of the TV show, the British show Life on Mars, which was not as good as the original. Uh, he play- I remember him playing Judas in The Last Temptation of Christ, and my buddy and I yeah. would always laugh that he had a fright wig on in that movie. <laughs> um, he was also in films like Mean Streets and Taxi Drivers, just so many others, and I, I really liked him in this. I thought he was, he was great in the part. I still like him as Winston Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's right. You know, in this, the connection with uh, Pulp Fiction, and I didn't actually find it in my research, but I had heard this years ago. Um, Tarantino wrote From Dusk Till Dawn before he wrote Pulp Fiction. And then Pulp Fiction, you know, got fast-tracked and made into a movie before this one. So he scavenged some stuff from other scripts. And one thing he took that was supposed to be in this script was the whole biblical speech that Jules says. Um, you know, I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance. Twenty-five, seventeen. Yeah, yeah. he was. Uh, that was supposed to be Jacob's line in this movie when he's going after the vampires. But Tarantino had already taken that and used it in um, in Pulp Fiction, so they didn't do that and they did something different. That would have been better been in this movie. And they they did uh, in uh, Captain America: Civil War when uh, uh, Nick Fury's grave. Right. It says Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, the path of the righteous man. Yes. Oh, that's right. Oh, too funny. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like blinking, you miss it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, as we talked about, George Clooney plays Seth Gecko. I looked it up. He was thirty five when he made this movie. Mm. Um, he of course was on ER. I remembered him, Mike. Do you remember him on an episode of Street Hawk? He was um, Jesse Mock's buddy who came back to town, and meanwhile there yes. was this this car going around robbing places called the phantom driver and it turned out it was him turned out it was him yeah, yeah. oh my god <laughs> he did a couple years on the facts of life um he was on roseanne and of course he played batman in batman and robin which was a horrible movie but i liked him as as batman as bruce wayne in that 
Uh, of course, the Ocean's Eleven remake, Solaris, and Spy Kids. So he's been just doing tons and tons of movies. Which, by the way, um, I showed my wife uh, the picture of of his tattoo to, mm-hmm. taken from towards the end of the movie, and she's mm-hmm. given me permission that when we get the money, I'm gonna get that tattoo. <laughs> So uh, just awesome. to throw it out there, Solaris is also a remake. So Tarantino loves That's his right. remakes. It was a Russian and, movie, right? Uh, I believe so. I have it on my HBO queue. I haven't watched it yet. I I have both of them. But uh, also, uh, his uh, sister is Rosemary Clooney. That's f- <laughs> that's right. Yep. Not his sister. That his aunt. His aunt. Yeah. We've been over this. I know. I say it every single time. Like, oh, that's his mom, Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> I used to think it was his mom until I was looking it up here. No, I only say it because it, it makes her nuts. She's like, no, I already told you it's his aunt. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we talked about Tarantino, who played Richie Gecko here. Um, Juliette Lewis, who's perpetually looks like she's 17. I think she still does. Um, she was, of course, in The Facts of Life. She played yeah. Audrey in uh, Christmas Vacation. As you mentioned before, Natural Born Killers with Woody Harrelson, Romeo is Bleeding, and the the awful remake of Cape Fear in 1991, which um, she also, uh, Ashes, to your point earlier, she played sort of an innocent character in that one. So uh, that movie, I could go on. I haven't seen that. I've only seen the Simpsons parody. (laughs) (laughs) My fundamental, I don't want to go too far on a tangent, but my fundamental problem with the Cape Fear remake is that in the original, Gregory Peck's the lead character, and he's this real upstanding by the book, by the rules kind of guy, and he just um, what's his name? The the villain, uh, Katie, whatever his name is, Max Katie, brings yeah. him down to his level. And in the remake, Nick Nolte plays the character, and he was a corrupt lawyer from the get go. So it wasn't a huge stretch for him to get down to Robert De Niro's level. So I didn't. I just I thought it lost something in the translation. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then rounding out the cast, we've already mentioned Selma Hayek, who was in 54, Desperado, Four Rooms, Spy Kids 3, so many movies. Um, the lady who was the hostage, Brenda Hillhouse, played um, Gloria Hill. This was her last role before she passed away. She was uh, Butch's mother in Pulp Fiction. Um, she was on a bunch of TV shows like Lou Grant, Happy Days, Doogie Howser, uh, even ER. And then we got Mark Lawrence, was the old-timer motel owner. He was in Asphalt Jungle, Diamonds Are Forever, The Man with the Golden Gun, Four Rooms, Foul Play. His his career goes back to the 1930s. Wow. Um, and as you mentioned, Pat, Cheech Marin plays the border guard, Chet Pussy, and Carlos. <laughs> I didn't realize that was his last name, but Apparently. It, uh, very appropriate. <laughs> we got black pussy, white pussy, brown pussy, yellow pussy. <laughs> Oh, man, we could do a show. That was funny. Okay, he's so good. He's so good at everything he does. I always wondered why uh, Seth Gecko like, hits him and knocks him down. I mean, he says, hold on, when they're about to walk in. He puts in. his hand on him. Yeah, uh, I guess. But it just seemed sort of out of the blue. Like, there was no, like, moment of get your hand off me. Right? He just immediately smashed him and went down. But Yeah, he broke his hand. He's like, step aside, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, Richie kicks him in the ribs a few times. My parents took me to see all those Cheech and Chong movies when I was a kid. It was like, and it's so in my adult years, I'm wondering, geez, were they closet pot smokers back then? <laughs> I didn't smell it, but. You never know. 
Oh my God! He was, of course, he was in, um, you know, some of those movies are called Up in Smoke, Nice Dream, Still Smoking. They did one called The Corsican Brothers, which was funny, and he was in Cannonball Run too. And he's done lots of voiceover work, and he was even on Lost. Which, yeah, he was yeah. one of the uh, he was one of the um, hyenas in The Lion King. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, him and Whoopi Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's just got that distinct voice like certain actors have where you you just know it's uh-huh. him as soon as you hear him. Yeah. Uh, Michael Parks played Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, and you know his career goes back to the early 60s. He starred on the show Then Came Bronson. He was on The Equalizer, The War of the Worlds TV show, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Death Proof, Django Unchained, and he passed away at age 77 in 2017. But he's yeah, I was going to say, Tarantino put him in a lot of his stuff. Yeah. His character in um, uh, Kill Bill is kind of the same, right? Wasn't he a ranger in that, too? I think so, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. he played two different characters. He played the ranger at the beginning that she spits in his face Yeah. when he discovers that she's alive. But he also, when she's looking for Bill, he plays Esteban, the uh, pimp. Oh, He's okay. All the, all the girls around him. No way. That's him? That's him. Holy shit. That's funny. Yeah, every so often his name comes up in like conversations that I hear about movies and TV shows. He was really well loved. Um, then of course Kelly Preston had a real short role. She was the newscaster, Kelly Hogue. Um, she was in the she original Hawaii Five. She looked way too happy. Talking. And then they killed another person and ran her down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She was in so many things like Quincy and Chips and uh, that horrible metal storm, The Direction of Jared Sin, which, by the way, that was in 3D when it came out and gave me a headache when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, Amazon Women on the Moon, Jerry Maguire, Space Camp, and, of course, Top Gun. Oh, yeah, Jerry Maguire, right. She's his girlfriend at the beginning, I think. Yeah, yeah. And as was mentioned before, Tom Savini, special effects guru, played Sex Machine here. He did effects on Friday the 13th, Maniac from 1980, he came back for Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, which is one of my favorites. And he's been in a ton of movies. Like he was in, um, he acted in like George Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Knight Riders and a bunch of others. And did effects on those as well. Yes. Yep. He was in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, yeah. He directed the remake. No, the, the Dawn of the Dead one, the Zack Snyder one. Oh, 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 right, right. I was thinking of the Night of the Living Dead remake. Yeah, like there's he's done a, a a lot of that. He had an episode on The Simpsons. Um, yeah, it was funny. My grandson happened to come into the room when when he was on the screen, and he looks at him. He goes, "I've seen that guy before," and he runs over to my my little area where I have my desk and stuff, and he. I have a picture, like you said, Pat. I have a, a autograph picture of him on the wall, and he's like, "That's where I saw that guy before." <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, we have a we have a bunch of stuff that he signed for us because uh, we we saw him at the Rock and Track convention years and years ago, and it was uh, his deal was buy anything on my table for twenty dollars, and I'll sign anything that you brought. Oh, that's awesome! Nice. So I just I I bought like sixty dollars worth of stuff, but you know he just kept I just kept bringing like two or three things every time, so I have like you know. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, hmm. From Dust Till Dawn, all signed. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember we saw him. Uh, my my first wife and I saw him at Spooky World. I don't know. If, I don't think Spooky World's still around, but 
um, he was a guest there, and we were approaching his table, and and she grabs my hand, and I swear to God, I shrunk down to like ten years old again. I was like <laughs> so starstruck, and he was kind of crabby that day. He was, I asked him about the remake of Night of the Living Dead, and he was like, "Yeah, it was a piece of shit." <laughs> okay. Yeah. But my favorite cameo in this, and I really wished he was in more of the film, was John Saxon playing the FBI agent Stanley Chase. I I, I love John Saxon no matter what he's in. Um, you know, so yeah, I was I, I was reminding Ash. She's like, he looks familiar. I'm like, yeah, that's Nancy's dad in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. He was in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's also a, a martial artist. Yeah. yeah, he will always be the dad from Elm Street to me. <laughs> Every That's time I see his face, yeah. He was in he was in Six Million Dollar Man, Kung Fu, Bonanza. That's right, he was. Yep. Wow. So many TV shows. He died in twenty twenty, which was too bad. I was trying to get him on on the show. Um, and then, of course, as we mentioned, Danny Trejo plays Razor Charlie. I didn't realize, at least according to IMDb, he was in almost four hundred and fifty films and TV shows. Um, I mean, that I remember sounds- seeing him in The Hidden in nineteen eighty seven. Would you say, Mike? No, that was, that was, I was say, oh. I, I, he uh that's that seems about right yeah i mean he was in like death wish for the crackdown the replacement killers um he apparently he reprised his role in the two sequels to from dust till dawn which um like i said i i hadn't actually haven't actually seen them he was in one of the halloween movies wasn't he the rob zombies halloween yeah, yeah the, the first yeah. one yeah i was good i remember to you, spencer mentioning <laughs> yeah he bashed his head in with the tv yeah <laughs> and of course the machete films i love i love machete i love how that started out as just a a phony trailer in between the two films in grindhouse and it was so popular they made it into a movie <laughs> oh yeah that those were my favorite things like one of those ended up like the the rob zombie one he made a song about it on hellbilly deluxe 2 i believe it was werewolf women of the ss oh yeah <laughs> That's Starring right. Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of those I would love to see made into movies. Don't. <laughs> There's the house. Don't go in there. <laughs> Don't. Um, and of course, <laughs> black exploitation star Fred Williamson plays Frost. You know, he's another guy we could do a whole freaking show on. So many black exploitation films and just amazing TV shows, including the original Star Trek series, as well as uh, he was in the first Ma- uh, the original MASH movie. Um and the original Inglorious Bastards. He was on the Equalizer and just so many things. Fred the Hammer Williamson. Yeah, he was I, I was showing Ash some of his uh some of his IMDB stuff, and I'm like, yeah, half of these I can't say out loud. Um, <laughs> but he was great. If you haven't seen VFW, do yourself yes. a favor and watch VFW. It's like the expendables but i was gonna say but with old guys and it's like uh, it's mickey rourke stallone willis yeah they're all like 200 so um <laughs> i think i but, saw the trailer once and i said oh i want to see that and then i forgot oh it's so yeah. good yeah it's got him and martin cove from uh yep. karate kid and uh george went oh, david right. patrick kelly yep. uh stephen lang who yeah. has looked for 30 years he's looked like he's in his 60s for the past 30 years yeah <laughs> but he's like super buff he's just always been super buff. oh yeah like he's always just he's the the main bad guy in avatar yeah yeah, yeah that's exactly what i pictured when you mentioned him yeah 
And he was also on the TV show um, with the guy from. Oh, of course, I can't think of it. It was, it was the one where something was happening to the Earth, so they were sending people back to the age of the dinosaurs to recolonize the planet. From there, oh, I can't think of the name of it now. It was the guy that was the lead in the, in the remake of Life on Mars, um, who's also voiced uh, Batman quite a bit on the animated shows. Uh, anyways, one was, last... What? Okay. Sorry, no, go ahead. The, 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 I'm sorry, the actor we were just talking about, whose name escapes me, that the, the guy you said is always buff. Stephen Lang. Um, Stephen Lang. Was he the bad guy in The Hard Way with Michael J. Fox? And, yes. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah, that's right, John. That's a fucking funny movie. I love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, James <laughs> James Woods. Yeah. James Woods is at the height. Oh my god, he's so funny in that. And then one thing I learned that I didn't realize was um, special effects guru Greg Nicotero uh, played Sex Machine's buddy. Yeah, the one he stole the beer from. Yeah, because we were trying to figure out. She's like, "Was that Zach Wild?" Yeah. So I learned last night that apparently young Greg Nicotero kind of looks like young Zach Wild. <laughs> Refresh me. Who is Zach Wild? Uh, guitarist. He most notably for uh, he plays with Ozzy. Um, oh, okay. He's 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 done so many things. Um, uh, was even on an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yes, as himself. <laughs> and they were making fun of him, like, "Hey, Zach Mild, you think you might want to ratchet it up a notch?" <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man, so let's get into this a little bit. The um one thing I thought was interesting, the El Rey hideout in Mexico was borrowed from a crime novel, a nineteen fifty eight crime novel Getaway, uh, by Jim Thompson. So I thought that I lo- I love how Tarantino just pulls things from all different mediums to put together in his movies, you know. Well, not only that, like you find out that Freddie Rodriguez in uh Planet Terror is El Rey. Like He's that's that's who he is like his net. He is because that's what uh, Michael Bain says to him at the end. He's like, if I had known that you were that you were El Rey, I would have never given you such a hard time. He's like, that's all right, soldier. Like, it's like, <laughs> what? Like, what? What's going on? That's funny. Oh, wow. I love stuff like that. Oh, my God. You know, and um, Earl McGraw was in uh, a recurring character in a lot of Rodriguez and Tarantino's works. Um, and we mentioned him earlier. I'm trying to remember now who he he played the the sheriff, right? Yeah. Oh, Earl Earl McGraw is the character. Michael Parks. Yeah. Yeah. The same. same yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we talked about how, you know, when Seth comes back from the big kahuna burgers, um, which, by the way, actually, the the hotel is called Big Kahuna Burgers. Um, those were in Pulp Fiction and mentioned in Death Proof. Yes, along with uh, the Red Apple cigarettes. Even uh, in um, Hateful Eight, they're in that, but they're uh, they're in Spanish, like Manzanos Rojas. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my god! And if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you're like, man, there's been no. We went inside. Yeah, yeah. We're like, wait a minute. Where are the cigarettes? And then at the end, like the they play the commercial, scene. and you're like, oh, there they are. <laughs> like no sooner did I say it than like there it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I guess Seth Gecko uses a line from Reservoir Dogs that where he says, uh, "All right, Ramblers, let's get rambling." 
Yeah, and he he does that a lot. All right, vampire killers, let's kill some fucking vampires. All right, hard drinkers, let's drink hard. Like that's yeah. that's like his his mnemonic devices, like his speech pattern. That's what he does. Yeah. And then Scott, the kid Scott, had a T-shirt that said Precinct 13 on it, which was obviously a reference to John Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13. Um, and let's see. I guess uh, Rodriguez, uh, a lot of his films, especially this one, uh, he uses non-union production crew, uh, which they said was kind of unusual for a production that had a budget over $15 million. So I'm not sure how he got away with that. That would definitely be... Uh, uh unique in my experience not that i've worked on a move on i least not that i know of uh that's been over 15 million but it's even on like something like a, a like a tier zero which is like no budget almost um even that you'll have you know union people you know running the camera and the you know the lights and everything right right yeah, I thought that was interesting. I guess this film got banned in Ireland, too, because there was, um, in uh, 96, in May, because there was uh, apparently some kind of massacres in the towns of Dunblane and Port Arthur, and so the F Irish Film Censor Board felt it was uh, irresponsible and to totally gratuitous with its violence, and so they banned it for a while. Oh, That's kind of weird. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Oh, I mean, I love the story. I love that, you know, the way... Um, it just they set it up so well with with Clooney and um and Richie, or Seth and Richie, I should say. Um, basically they lose their hostage, so they find the family. You know what better covered than a family in an RV? Yeah, and you know the uh, like, oh, what's your purpose in Mexico? I'm taking my son to see his first bullfight. Well, who is that? What was that noise? Oh, it's my daughter in the bathroom. You never said anything about a daughter, right? And like that that whole that whole thing going on. Uh, with Seth and Richie and uh, oh my God, what's her uh, Catherine Kate? Kate, Kate yeah. Uh, I was gonna call her what Tarantino called, and uh, Clooney called her. It's like, all right, Gidget. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great reference. Um, yeah, like that whole scene in the bathroom was great. Oh yeah, and he knocks he knocks Richie out by headbutting. <laughs> You said something about your hand hurting, and he just hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. Oh, why'd my glasses break? Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that Juliette Lewis says thank you after he knocks him out. Right. <laughs> Seth knocks Richie out. Whack! And then she goes, thank you. You said <laughs> I was a fucking nut. <laughs> oh, that was a good impression. It was good. He, they were all so good in this movie, you know, and I, I, Richie was so... Not just scummy, but scary, like creepy scary, you know, like the way he's yeah. just sort of staring at Juliette Lewis and almost drooling. Yeah. But oh, I, I loved that scene in the RV where Seth told him to to put his mouth guard in. Richie, put in your bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was. Like, I know, I know. Cheech Marin has probably one of the greatest speeches in this this film. But for some reason, the way Tarantino delivers that line, it, it grind my teeth. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I could not stop giggling at that. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The, best, the best line in this because he's because he's sitting there and he's trying to be so cool, and like they're looking at him like, you know, trying he's, he's trying to, to impress Kate. Yeah. 
and and you know and Seth's just like hey in your bit and I love that too because that shows how Richie kind of looks out for his little brother you know he knows he's yeah. quote unquote special yeah Seth well, I mean, looks out for Richie yeah that's what I meant Seth looks out for Richie. yeah the whole the 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 best line though like obviously Cheech Cheech's uh pussy speech is uh is up there but the best line is like psychos is that what they look like to you like look like psychos psychos <laughs> do not explode Blow, when sunlight, when sunlight hits, hits them. Them. i don't give a fuck how crazy they are yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um my God. i wanted to say, i don't know if we're going in any kind of order here but no. the scene where in in the bar where richie turns into a vampire like and then Seth is trying to like get up the the gumption to kill him. It's he. There's we see him. We see Richie with his full distorted face and he's full. Like you said, he has a giant head, giant you know, but and he he just looks like one hundred percent nasty vampire, just like everybody else. And then there's a quick clip with Seth looking at him where he looks more like Richie Richie, but with his eyes different eyes and fangs and he and he he's clearly mentally not richie anymore but he doesn't look all morphed out into the the nasty monstrous vampire and i don't know why they did that but it's kind of cool it's almost like seth was trying as hard as he could to see his brother in this monster and then he realized well that's not he's gone he's just gone and uh then when he goes to stab him he looks like a normal so i think on the outside to everybody else at that moment he uh, Richie looked like monstrous vampire, but in Seth's eyes, right before he killed him, he saw some kind of an amalgam of Richie Richie and Vampire Richie or something. It was weird. That makes sense. I hadn't considered that. I was wondering why they why they chose to do that. Yeah, mm. it was until Richie like does the little like you know come on gesture. Mm. Yeah. That that's when he's like, "Yep, that's not my brother anymore." <laughs> I I love when. When all hell breaks loose and Selma Hayek goes, welcome to slavery. And Clooney goes, no, thanks. I already had a wife. Do you, <laughs> you know the, the story behind that line? No. It was an outtake. They were never going to use it. But Miramax uh, somehow put it together in the trailer so that <laughs> Robert Rodriguez was like, well, shit, now I have to use it in the movie. That's awesome. <laughs> and I remember seeing that trailer and thinking, ha, that's funny. His marriage is like slavery. I'm 15. <laughs> well, it can be. It depends on who you're with. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was for me. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I, you know, I, yeah. that whole scene where just all hell broke loose, I thought it was very well shot. A lot of great camera work. Um you know, as we mentioned, Seth had to kill Richie. And then he goes at the end, he goes, aside from that unfortunate business, everything is hunky-dory. Yeah. <laughs> I just killed my brother who turned into a vampire, even though I don't believe in vampires. Yeah. <laughs> and I, one thing I liked about this movie, too, was that at first, they when they realize they're fighting vampires, they start to go through all right you know how do we kill these things but then then they i think it was Clooney's character that sort of alters it and says all right so what do we know about these vampires they knew they know they're superhuman and yeah. their bodies were super soft which i was so glad even when i first saw this that they explained that because it makes yes. so much more sense yes i was glad that line was in there i like when they were because it was like <laughs> oh go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> i was gonna say i like when they're arguing about like the the different properties of silver and then julia yeah. 
Does anybody have any silver? Okay. Who cares? Okay. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a really good. Yeah, that was good. And then like at that in that conversation, I believe uh they're talking about like what they can do against them. Like, oh, we could just put two pieces of wood together and make a cross. And he goes, Really? He goes, Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh what's his name does that all the time? Um Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing. Yeah. yeah, Peter yeah. Cushing does that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, because that that's a reference to a great scene in I think it was the horror of Dracula where he's got like two giant candlesticks and yes. he, he falls back and he holds it up like a cross, but then he shifts and changes the candle so they're still in a cross formation. It's just now, you know, the the right one is the crossbar and the left one is the up and down piece. Which I thought that was a cool scene, but is that does that matter when you make a cross? Which one is? No, it was just the the dynamic, the way it oh, was oh. shot, and the way he kind of had to move but still maintain doing a cross. It just was a slightly different yeah. configuration. I just watched that last night, actually, in preparation for the Dracula thing. Oh, out. cool! Oh, awesome! That was, that was really good. The way he dives at the curtains and rips them down so the sunlight can come in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Cushing, and then he runs back across the table and picks up the the two candlesticks and like stands over him and that was so awesome he's so athletic in his early films mm. um so anyways getting back to this so i, I mentioned earlier i like the bonding between um seth and the family and mm. there's one point where he's trying to help harvey Keitel's character muster up the courage and find his faith again and he's like listen i want you to say i'm a mean motherfucking servant of god <laughs> harvey Keitel, <laughs> he just goes i'm a mean mm, mm, servant of god <laughs> Mm. Yeah, because he asked him, he's like, are you a faithless preacher or are you a mean motherfucking son, uh, servant of God? That's right. Yeah. A, you know, what's funny is bless the bless the tap water and turn it into a weapon. Right. Yeah. 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 He motivates him that way. Yeah. Yeah. But earlier in the movie, when they're first in the RV, um, Pooney refers to himself and Richie when he's talking to the the Harvey Keitel's character and he refers to himself as Richie himself and Richie as a couple of mean motor scooters so <laughs> I kind of thought the preacher was going to say that back to him instead of you know just oh, not saying the words but it was funnier motor scooter and servant of God <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, there were a few inconsistencies in this, though, although I did like, well, like when Harvey Keitel gets bit, he doesn't change right away, but then other characters get bit and they immediately transform. Well, that's that's typical. Like, you know, you have to throw in some of the tropes like oh, I got bit, but I don't want to say anything like Tom Savini's transformation. That yeah, was hilarious. Touching the teeth and he's like, oh, and he covers his mouth with his hand, but then his hand turns, he, turns, he puts it behind his back and then he yeah, right. <laughs> And I love yeah. that they chose to have Fred Williamson starts pontificating yeah. about this Vietnam flashback. So everybody's focused on him. Meanwhile, Savini's in the background trying not to transform. Yeah. <laughs> and then he appears on his back. Yeah. Like neck. a spider. Like, how did he get behind him? Like, that's a that's one of the uh, inconsistencies that I didn't care for. Right. It's like, he's like climbing up his back like he was in front of him like what the hell happened yeah. right, right right that's one of those times when the the, the the filmmaker cheats with the what the audience can't see oh yeah 
And why did he turn into a giant rat? Even this time around, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it didn't, maybe because he got decapitated. I don't know. But like everybody else got decapitated. It's like some guys are just getting shot and mm. like they would die. Other people, you had to drive a spike. Like I loved Fred Williamson impaling the waitresses on the fucking yes. table. Yeah. The legs of the table. One, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, that was I know that it was a little inconsistent, like. And I guess this happens in a lot of vampire movies for me. It's like, okay, is it like a werewolf where you get bit once and you, if they don't drain you completely so you die, then you immediately turn into one? Or is it like in other vampire movies where they bite you and then you have to drink from them in order to turn? Or you're not really a vampire until you make your first kill? I mean, obviously in this movie, things have to happen fast. And so they weren't concerned with that. But. Yeah, I don't think they were really going to delve into the lore. They were just like, all right, we know a bunch of shit about vampires. Everybody knows a bunch of shit about vampires. And I think that's what that scene had to do with. It's mm, like, okay. Right. You know, here like Roger go. said, some people turned right away, like within like 30 seconds and other people, it took them like. 30 minutes to change yeah they after they killed the first round of vampires they killed everybody there yeah and then like all the guys that got bit started getting up i mean generally if you kill the head vampire who i can only assume was uh salma hayek mm. uh everybody else dies but you know they didn't want to do that so like there was yeah there was a lot of inconsistency right i kind of wish that her character had lived longer in the movie yeah, would have been, would been interesting to see interesting. if they give a little. I mean, they did a great job of just giving out little nuggets of things. Like we mentioned where he tells Richie to put his biter in and, um, you know, just so many little details that don't need to be super exposition that work. Like um, when they're in the closet or whatever, they're in like a back room and they find all the shit that had been taken from trucks of the truck drivers they killed. And then, of course, dump the trucks in the back in the back of the building. I love that because it explained exactly what was going on there. You didn't need to have someone come out and say it, you know? Mm. Right. And that's why they said truckers and, and bikers only. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And yep. that, sh that shot at the end, that final shot with, where you could see the Aztec temple going down into the ground. I mean, that of, of all of a lot of horror movies, that's a great final shot, you know? Yeah. Just see that at the end and you go, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, and oh shit you just don't expect it and i love the set i love the outside of the titty twister and i love the inside too the i think they mm -hmm. did a great job with the sets mm -hmm. it was a very cool looking place on the inside so one other thing i wanted to mention about this movie the scene where harvey Keitel is making his kids swear to kill him if when he turns was pretty long why do you think that they it, you know that scene went on for as long as it did padding the runtime yeah, probably. I mean, this movie's barely over an hour and a half. Yeah. Because, I mean, it wasn't that pivotal. It really just, you know, all right, swear to kill me if I, when I turn, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe they thought at this point, you know, from the introduction of these characters that people cared about these characters. So they're just trying to uh, establish that even more, like to make the audience really invested in, you know, the the ins and outs of, of what's happening with these characters, because obviously we're invested in the two brothers. We, we were introduced to them first thing, yeah. but you know, because we were introduced to this family, you know, about halfway through or so, uh, I think it was just a way to kind of be like, you know, we want you to care about these characters uh, because they're mostly all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think killing off Tarantino and, 
like all these main stars, you know, Salma Hayek, Tarantino having uh, Harvey Keitel get bitten. You're like, okay, who's going to make it through now? There's right. only the four of them left. And we know that what's his name's going to, going to be killed at some point. So what are we going to be doing here? Right. I actually have another thought about this that it just came to me when you asked that question, Raj. And I think when Richie turns into a vampire and Seth hesitates to kill him, I think it's the preacher who's the first one that says, that's not your brother anymore. Right. Um, I could yeah. be wrong, but I think it's him that says that. And then, so I think he's part of his faith might be just really believing in demonic possession and things like that. And so I think he's, when he's talking to his kids, like, it's like, if I turn, you have to kill me. Cause I'm not me anymore. I'm going to look like me, but you know, she's trying to drill it into their heads that like, don't, you know, you got to see past what, I, what you see. Cause to him, I think it's like, he knows demons and can possess people and whatever the devil can look like, whatever he wants. And he probably sees the vampires as demons in a way. And so I, you know, I mean, it's a whole bunch of reasons could be in there, but I think he's the he he picked up faster than anybody that when you turn, you turn, you're gone. Right, right. Oh man! Oh, there was one other scene I wanted to mention where um, they Clooney gets, wants to drink with them. He doesn't want to drink alone, so Kate drinks. And, mm. you know, the father, being a preacher, he kind of frowns upon it. But even though she didn't like the taste at first, she she willingly had another one. I think she had like two or three. Yes, um, thank you. I'll have another one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she makes a face after every single one. Right. <laughs> oh, man, that was yeah. awesome. So uh, final thoughts on, on um, From Dusk Till Dawn, Ashes. I thought it was a really fun film. I thought it was a very interesting take on the vampire genre. I really loved the use of practical effects. And it was what Robert Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero who yeah. were in charge of all of this. Yeah. Uh, you know, both well known in their own rights, but working together, man, did they do some spectacular work um i thought that the creature design was very interesting uh not quite seen before especially with like the uh the serpentine look to the vampires usually we see more of uh bat like yeah either like bat like or bat like yeah. or more, more human like mm -hmm. um or sometimes they sparkle uh <laughs> But I thought it was really interesting, and I thought that uh, that the the final scene and and you know really just the culmination of everything was so well done. And thinking to myself, "Oh my God, will Carlos just show up already? Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, they're all going to die. There's going to be nobody left." Uh, and I really liked the way that they conquered the vampires in the end too, uh, like. Uh, was mentioned earlier with the the mirror ball, you know, reflecting all of the the light and ultimately killing them all. I really liked the back and forth between Seth and Kate at the end, those two being the only survivors of this massacre. Um, Kate not knowing exactly what to do with herself now that her entire family is dead, uh, wanting to kind of ride the coattails of Seth and Seth being like, yeah, no, you don't want to follow me. Like, you know, he's it, like, I know you have Stockholm syndrome right now, but uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the kind of, you know, uh, 
again, going back to kind of like the the differences between him and his brother, his brother would have been like, yeah, sure, you know, come along with, I'm going to corrupt you in every single way that I can. But whereas, you know, Seth definitely has, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a more moral criminal, so to speak. Um, you know, he right. didn't want to take advantage of her in that way. He wanted her, you know, she was still young, uh, even though she had gone through this, you know, whole tragedy. He wanted her to go and live her life and, you know, yeah. not, not turn to the life of crime that he so chose. <laughs> Uh, he gave her like 50 grand. Well, yeah, well, yeah. And that's another thing too. Like he set her up pretty nicely. So, you know, uh, here, here's a, here's a wad of cash for your troubles, kid. I like the way he did it too. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I like the way he did it too. He, he wasn't like all caring and like, you have your whole life ahead of you. He just said, Kate, go home. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what yeah. is? Like, do you, do you know what this is? Just, no. Here, in, I'm sorry, your whole family's dead. Here's a couple of bucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> an attendance bonus. Oh um, but I, I loved it. Again, I think it's a really interesting and kind of fresh take for the time, especially of the vampire genre. Um, I loved the use of the cast you know who they casted and the overall feel of the film it's definitely something i'm going to revisit in the future uh i loved it i just i i can't say enough good things about it but yeah the the ending that that last you know few what half hour or so uh at the the, the titty twister which is just a phenomenal name for a, a bar um I just thought it was fantastic. I thought that was the perfect way to kind of end that film. Yeah. Pat? Uh, you know, I remember, again, watching it at 15, and uh, most of the time, my thoughts were, titties! <laughs> and then, um, then, like, I liked the uh, the violence and the, the, the different blood and stuff like that. Um, I thought I was a real sleuth when uh, I was like, oh, there's green blood on the knife that they stabbed Danny Trejo with. Oh, I think something bad's about to happen. <laughs> um, not understanding story structure and, and, and whatnot. But no, I feel like this movie definitely holds up as far as, you know, not just the practical effects, except for like when the vampires kind of melt. Looks like they melt into like one of those cheap Halloween decorations that you put on the floor. Right. Uh, but you know, for the budget, I don't want to say for the technology of the time because we're two years removed from Terminator 2 and this is the same year we got Jurassic Park. So, no, not the technology of the time, uh, <laughs> just the budget. Um, you know, I loved all the practical effects, the makeup effects of not just, you know, what the vampires look like, but also the, you know, the different wounds, the body parts everywhere. You know, like you mentioned earlier, the, the, guitar hero person <laughs> um like i thought they were all uh they were all awesome and like again it's a fun movie I like, say, there's, there's, a, great there's an overall campy aspect to it that i just love so much yeah like there's it's like if batman 66 was a vampire movie like that's kind of what this would be like <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun and you know, it's definitely one that you should watch over and over again. Maybe not like, oh, I watched it 25 times this year. It's like once or twice a year is good. Right, right. <laughs> Michael? 
One thing I was going to say is they did a really good job uh, in the second half of the movie. The whole the whole second half of the movie takes place inside the bar. And a lot of times when you have a movie that takes place indoors, especially in a place that's not that big, it, it get it's there's not enough variety in the in the action to make you not like kind of get sick of it and think, well, you know, what's this is taking forever or whatever. But they think they did a really good job at like playing with levels of, you know, uh, panic and then a couple of semi-quiet moments and some suspense and whatever, even though they were all in a limited space. Um, I like the fact that the movie starts out seeming like a crime thing. And then, and then once they get there, it like totally shifts into a horror movie. I don't like movies that gen generally speaking, I don't like camp in a movie. I feel like if you're going to do camp, be all camp. Like, and if you're, or I don't know, I just, for me, it's my personal taste. Um, I, I know I'm, I keep mentioning the TV series, but if you're, if you're interested at all in it, the, the TV series is not as campy at all. I mean, it's, it's a lot more serious and um, hmm. they do play in the first season. They sort of retell part of what happened in the movie and they change some of it. Cause you know, it's the way they did it. And, um, but I think it has at least two seasons and um it's kind of interesting. They they talk more about the mythology of the 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 snakes, uh, the snake gods or whatever that they worship, and everything is like snake oriented. You know, it's not um, divided between like the bat like ones and the rat like ones and whatever. Um, so, if you have any interest in checking that out, like you said, the Rodriguez does direct the, uh, a lot of the episodes of the series. It's a pretty good series, actually. What streaming um, service is it on? Uh, Netflix, I think. Oh, okay, cool. And I have to say, somebody was—I uh, forget—I think it was maybe Ashes who was talking about how George Clooney's character kind of bonds a little bit with the family, and I like that. Like this time around, when I watched it, I, I really felt like, in a way, it's George Clooney's movie, or I shouldn't say that, but it's Seth's. Seth is like out of prison, and he's trying to sort of get his life back together, and he protective of his brother, but his brother is really far gone. And he's just trying to hold everything together. And so he like vacillates back and forth between being like this threatening guy and this caring guy. And then when they get into the situation, he he doesn't believe in vampires, but he adjusts really quickly to it. And then once they get through and, and then, yeah, there's moments in it where like the family sees him as the, the same one, the, the, the somewhat reasonable one. Uh, who has a little bit of a conscience. And so I like that kind of that, how the, how he interacts with all the other characters. And then at the end, the fact that he tells her to just go away, you know, like, right. I was, you know, you would sort of, uh, my initial expectation at the end was, oh, they're going to drive off together. But the fact that he was like, yeah, no, get out of here. Like yeah. he says something like I'm a, I'm a bastard, Jesus. but I'm not a fucking bastard or something. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a dog. Yeah. Hold on one second. Surprise. All right, so I'm sorry, Mike Hill. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, sorry, I, no, I was just I was about to finish up. Um, that he he tells her to go away, says, go home, Kate, and then he says something like, "I'm a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard." You know, like yeah, I'm a I'm a bad person, but I'm not going to drag you into my lifestyle. You know, and yeah. I don't know. I, I like I like that aspect of it more than any, anything else, and I still love the disco ball, but um, yeah, it's not one of my favorites, but it's cool. <laughs> oh, uh, talking about the uh, the the uh, series, 
Uh, <laughs> it is on Netflix. It's got 30 episodes. Oh, wow. Mm. And uh, the young lady who plays Santanico Pandemonium is uh, Aiza Gonzalez, mm. who is also in Baby Driver. Uh, Alita, oh, that's right. Uh, she was in Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, I care a lot. Godzilla versus Kong. She was the uh, the bad lady in that. Oh, oh, wow. So she's done well. She was six when this uh, original movie came out. So. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, really she does nice. really well in it. And she doesn't die, you know, right away. She's she's a, she's a in the series. She's like an ongoing character. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I love this movie more this time around. Like I said, when I first saw it, I felt like the the silly or even campy scenes kind of took away from it. But now I've, I was able to just sort of overlook them and I really enjoyed it. Um, I did, like I said, too, I picked up a lot about the characters and their relationships, you know, and I liked I liked the fact that the first half is a crime thriller and the second half is a horror movie. I felt that that worked very well. Um, and it's a nice surprise, you know, um, and you guys were talking about the, um, the the vampires having green blood, and it just occurred to me, I have a feeling that because the beginning is so harsh and violent, especially when Richie, what he does to that woman, even though we don't see it, I think that's part of the reason why they maybe decided to make the vampires have green blood instead of red, because otherwise it could have gotten heavily censored and cut. And they didn't have any more blood and, and any more fake blood. Right. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. It all up. Um, one scene though, uh, when they were shooting the holes in the walls to let the sunlight in, didn't that remind you of Fright Night? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I definitely, I recommend this movie. I think people should, um, check it out. I think if you're going to recommend this movie to someone, don't tell them it's a vampire movie. Let them go walk into it, not knowing that it's going to change halfway through. Cause I think that's like a fun surprise for, for viewers. Hmm. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, Ashes and Pat, can you once again tell the listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find us uh, at uh, com for articles and uh, our latest episodes always uh, populate there. You can uh, also find us Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. You can find us on Facebook. We have the Throwdown Thursday uh, group where, you know, sometimes we will uh, we'll invite you to participate in our getting into character question. Uh, I was going to reveal what this week's was, but uh, I don't know when this episode's going to air. <laughs> so, like, oh, you could have joined in six weeks ago, but uh, <laughs> that's not going to be too helpful for you. Uh, but yeah, we are everywhere. Podcasts can be found. Uh, you can also reach out to if you if you have a character you'd like us to cover. Uh, throw it on Thursday podcast at gmail dot com, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find us. Awesome, awesome. And Michael, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's it's so awesome having you on. No problem. I'm enjoying this stuff. Excellent, excellent. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallow-Tober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manell and I discuss all cult movies all the time. 
And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts. That's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and T Public link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com. Force the Fuller family to smuggle them over the Mexican border. Excuse me. In Mexico, they're... <laughs> <laughs> In Mexico... They're